0: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. It is fall. The best time of the year. It's the best time of year for fishing. It's the best time of the year for food. It's the best time of year for clothing and temperature and all of the great things that exist in the world. So it's fall. I'm happy. Hopefully you're happy too. But that being said... Fall comes with its fair share of problems when fishing is concerned. Because it's beautiful outside, people want to get out there, which means that it is one of those times of the year where everyone wants to go fishing. So kind of along the same lines as springtime, um, it's the it's the nice weather and the hatches and all that stuff you get people of all angling stripes into their waders. And although there's a lot of fishable water out there for you and for me and for everybody, the most popular spots, maybe your favorite spots, fill up quickly during these times. Then you find yourself basically competing while fly fishing. Not necessarily competing, like trying to catch more fish than the next person or trying to catch a particular fish that that person's trying to catch, but it's, it's almost for spots, You want your space. For so many of us, that is what we're looking for. The solitude and tranquility that so many of us seek is stripped away at certain times of the year. And so what are we left with? Crowds, noise, and potentially, and this happens in a lot of places in the fall, uh, especially around uh, salmon and steelhead and and lake-run trout and things like that, the notorious combat angling scene. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I think I talked about that a little bit in one of my Steelhead podcasts, but it's not fun, it's not good, and there's only a very few particular set of circumstances where I can tolerate being that close to people, and uh, they are few and far between. So again, you know the, the well-known holes that you might want to fish have gained their reputation because they're productive, however, the fabled spots aren't your only option, and doing it at the middle of the daytime isn't your only option. If fishing is good in spot 1A, there's a very good chance that you'll do just fine in spot 1B. And, and I think this is the important thing for all of us to remember, if your first choice has been hammered for days or for weeks, the reality is that the backup option may very well yield much more than just tranquility. You might find yourself getting into fish that haven't seen angler after angler, fly after fly. So, here's four strategies that I think can help as you're thinking about where you're going to be fishing this fall. And of course, these translate into the springtime. Uh, just different sets of situations and different uh, fisheries and things like that, of course, are going to going to be more productive in the spring versus the fall, but same same concepts. So, really, and this is the this is maybe where, you know, this is a little bit of a different approach. They don't have anything to do with fly selection or trout prospecting. Um, It has nothing to do with technique. It has everything to do with kind of big picture wrapping your minds around where you are going fishing. So in my opinion, some of the best fly fishing advice you can receive and some of the best fly fishing advice that I can give has a lot more to do with how you approach a day rather than how you approach a fish. So how you approach a day, how you approach your fishing trip, what is your mindset as you are getting in the car to go fishing that mindset and this might sound weird and new agey but but really fly fishing is really mental how do you approach a, a hole how do you approach a fish how do you approach a day is going to determine if you're going to be successful or not so rethinking the questions of where and when can allow you to get out even in the most popular spots and get into fish most popular spots, most popular streams, most popular times. There's way to kind of reorient how you look at those things and still get into fish, even when there's a lot of people out there, or even if there's not a lot of people out there that day. These fish have been hammered uh, for for weeks because it's been been a very very beautiful season and people are getting out there. So, four things that you can think about as you make your plans to get out. First one: upstream or downstream? Upstream or downstream? I've said it before. I'll say it again. Trout can not read regulation signs. Never has a fish stopped swimming because it hit a boundary for catch and release rules. But anglers, on the other hand, in my experience, most anglers treat these signs and cables, you know, dangling across the stream with a little sign on it and highlighted areas on maps like electric fences. So, you know, I don't want to go into too many details on why in certain states or in certain counties, certain stretches of waters get special designations, but it's important to remember that this isn't always because they are inherently fishier. Might you see someone catch and keep a trout if you're not one of these places? Yes, and you know what? That's their prerogative. Uh, you can talk about the underlying reasons why the state says you can keep fishing this stretch, but not that stretch. And that's a totally different conversation. But for you going fishing today, for you going fishing in a stretch downstream of the special regs or upstream of the special regs, you know, you're going to see that, but that's okay. You might see people throwing worms and that's, you've chosen that. But the truth is a lot of these places just upstream and downstream, the special regs are going to get a lot less pressure. Might the pressure be from people using bait? Maybe. But I've seen plenty of fly anglers that don't know how to fight a fish or use multiple fly rigs or don't know how to set the hook right, and so fish are swallowing flies, and they're getting hurt, and the mortality rate may be just as high because of the volume of fly fishers as it would be because of the few traditional anglers. Does that make sense? All right, it's kind of ranty, but just get back back on topic. But the fact of the matter is, upstream and downstream of a special regulation area, you're probably going to have as good, if not better, success than if you were in the busy, crowded special regulation section. And I think this this gets back to the idea of pressure, where pressure is, in my mind, a lot less desirable than scarcity of fish. So, not to use real numbers, but say there's you know a hundred fish in a 100-meter uh, stretch of a stream, 100-yard, my goodness, what country am I from? A uh, 100-yard stretch of the stream, there's 100 fish. I would rather fish over a 50 fish per 100-yard stretch where I'm the only one there and I've been the only one there over the last week or even day than if I'm sharing that 100-yard, 100 100-fish 100 stretch with somebody at that time or I know that there have been multiple people on it over the past days and weeks. I think you get that point. So upstream or downstream um, has to do with getting away from pressure. Secondly, the creek next door. Now, it's a trustworthy statement. In fishing, access is integral. But if you want to walk a bit, you'll be rewarded. So fair weather fly fishers probably aren't going to venture too far from the parking lot. And what's more, they're probably not going to deviate from those special regulation spots or the main rivers to hike up into tributaries. So I've had um, some wonderful days fishing near but not on famous rivers. Near but not on famous rivers. It is hard to pass up the pools and riffles of renown, the places where there's a sign, the places where there's a picture, the place where, you know what, usually when you drive by, there's a bunch of people standing there, but today there's nobody there. It's hard to pass those spots up. That casting to relatively virgin water, maybe maybe water that hasn't been seen by an angler in in a couple of weeks or a month, it's a really good trade off. And you know, if you read angling literature, which I, I highly suggest you do, you know that those who came before us, they really used the major rivers like launching points. And from those hubs of the the famous spots, they would fish into the feeders with the exact same enthusiasm as the spots that you know would later be named after these people that's an approach and a mindset worth emulating in my opinion where you go to the big river you go to the popular river and you find little tributary creeks they might not be as enticing from a, a number of standpoints but especially this time of year you're going to see fish moving around and finding all sorts of spots. So maybe that little tributary that looks a little bit slow, maybe a little bit uh, um, more cloudy and a little bit more stagnant. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that that might be a place where some of these fish move uh, as the water starts to get colder. And so don't hesitate to venture up the creek. Try to find uh, another another spot that you haven't fished before. I've really enjoyed finding finding rivers like this i'll give you a, a one quick example and actually it's, it's a warm water river but a very very popular mid-atlantic smallmouth bass river so good, a little bit of a different dynamic than trout but the same thing and I had been fishing it and having a really good time and it was one of those days where uh, you know you just Kind of catching fish all over the place, and I started fishing up into the mouth of the creek. And the mouth of the creek started producing lots and lots of fish. Started fishing up into the creek. I started catching more and larger fish in this creek that was about a fifth of the width of the major river that I was fishing, and it was uh, just different uh, rock formations and a lot more structure and a lot more cover and a really different angling situation. And I had just as much fun, if not more, on that little stream. And in fact, in time since, I've made it a point to go to that spot so I could fish that stream in conjunction with that larger river. And I've had the same experience on trout rivers too, where you fish these little tiny tributaries and you're thinking, you know, I drove all this way to fish this big river and now I'm fishing this tiny little creek, but you know, there's going to be fish that for whatever reason, whether it be they found a little bit of of, um, cover or they found a food source, uh, they're they're going to be up in those little creeks. And that's a real fun surprise. All right. So the first thing was go upstream, go downstream. Second thing was to go to the creek next door. And uh, the third thing I mentioned before, um, getting warmer. So like I said, sometimes you'll see tributaries or you find other rivers that they're maybe normally warm water fisheries, but depending on where you live in the country, some of these warm water fisheries throughout the summer, they begin to transition over. And the fish that were maybe seeking thermal refuge up in the small feeder creeks, they will find their way down into the larger, traditionally warmer streams. I have a friend who fishes in a really rural county in Pennsylvania, And some of the biggest fish he's caught are not in trout rivers. It's in a muddy rock bass river, but these fish live in who knows where throughout the year in tiny trickles, tiny little spring seeps that probably are on farmer's property that nobody has access to. They might swim through a a little culvert into a, a pool that opens up that's in the woods that nobody knows about, but then... As soon as the fall hits and they're able to swim down into that main river, they take advantage of it because that's where the food is and that's where they can move around. That's where they can see their other trout friends. But that's a kind of thing where you know you've been catching maybe fall fish and brim and all sorts of stuff throughout the course of the summer. Well, now if there are at all trout fisheries in the area you might see some bigger trout in there and they're laying in those same holes that the smallmouth were earlier in the summer and it's worth checking out. So look at those quote-unquote warm water rivers. The last one is first and last. So if you can be there first or you can be last then uh, you might get into the fish. So if the, the three previous approaches sound appealing but they're not tempting enough to keep you off of your popular, albeit favorite, stretch, there's another option. And all it does is involve getting up really early or staying out really late. Everyone knows that being the first one on the water has its advantages. And chances are, if you're up early enough, you can work through at least a few runs before you begin bumping into other anglers. And at that point, as the stream fills up with more fly fishes, you can employ one of the aforementioned strategies that I brought up for the middle of the day, and then head back to that original stream for sundown. So at that point, the pressure will back off, but some of the more nocturnally inclined fish will come out for the first time. And so what you'll get then is if you do what I just said, you're there early, you go somewhere else in the middle of the day, you come back at night, you'll get the best of all three worlds. You'll get those morning fish that maybe didn't get hit that morning or previous mornings because there wasn't anybody out at first light. You'll get to do what I've been talking about as far as looking at the warm water streams or, or trying uh, other tributaries or, or um, just trying different spots. But then also you come back and you'll be able to fish in the evening and you can really fish into the evening pretty safely until the ice starts forming and even if you you know if if you're careful even then, but there's going to be fish that you're going to be encountering if you're there in the 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 waning and waxing light that even if somebody's hammering that spot all day long, that you're going to see it for the first time because that fish was tucked up underneath the bank. It was in a deep pool above or below where that person was fishing. And now it's going into their feeding lane for the night and you're going to have access to it either before it retreats for the day or before it comes out for the night. And, uh, <laughs> that is a kind of a fun experience. And I've had that before and at first you get anxious, like you come up to the spot and you're like, I know there's going to be a big fish here, but there's somebody in that pool. And without fail, you know as it starts to get dark and you're just kind of fishing goofing around above or below the person, then they start looking at their watch, they take their sunglasses off, they, you know, they, they, they really slow down and head back to their car and you can go to that spot. And even though they've been hammering that water for hours, the dynamics change. And it's probably not just one fish, probably multiple fish that are going to be moving around. Trout, particularly, all fish, all fish truly, but trout in particular, they are moving around throughout the day more than we realize, especially bigger predatory fish. They're not dumb. They didn't get big because they're dumb. So that's just one more way to take advantage of a time of year that is uh, getting a little bit busier. And that daytime... um, uh, you know, time shrinks in the fall. So it's not like you're having to wake up at 3.30 and you're going to bed at 11. You know, middle of summer, it stays light well past nine o'clock. And, and, and even if, uh, if it's a, a pretty bright, cloudless night, you know, you, there's times when you're like, holy mackerel, it's actually nighttime, but it's, it's, it's still light enough that I'm making all my casts and doing everything I want to do. And that can be unappealing to somebody that has work the next day or somebody who just doesn't like to be fishing when it's quote unquote dark or late. Uh, but in the fall, you really have the option to stay out late and only be seven o'clock. So that's definitely something to consider. So again, upstream or downstream, special regulation areas are awesome, but use those as guides, fall back on them. Don't, I I'm, I'm nothing against them. That's, kind of where i prefer to fish but if they're really busy fish just upstream or just downstream i've gotten in some really really good fish because the fish don't know and they don't care try the creek next door tributaries can be just as if not more productive during certain times of the year based upon water conditions temperatures and the pressure that the main rivers are experiencing and getting warmer so this one is yeah, it's my favorite these warm water streams that have cool tributaries that just totally change over in the fall and into the winter with uh, all sorts of big trout and small trout too big big trout that take up residence because now they have that thermal protection of those rivers cooling down at some places that can happen really really quickly if there's a lot of cold influences so if you live you know in um really mid-Atlantic north, that happens a lot where these small rivers that have trout in them, especially if there is spring influences in these little creeks that flow in, that will cool off those major rivers and then that spring water will keep them cool. Then, of course, you have that population base of trout that live up in these creeks. A lot of times, and you know this if you fish spring creeks or, or anything like that, Really big fish can live in really small areas because they're very fertile, they're very clean, and they're very cold. But then they will move down to those bigger rivers and they will just go crazy eating the huge forage sources they have access to. And then get up early, stay up late, and you are going to find your way into fish that you otherwise wouldn't have found your way to. Do you have another tactic? Do you have another uh, idea of how you can take advantage of times of the year that get really busy? Let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. Always happy to hear. Always happy to interact with uh, your input, your stories, and your fly fishing knowledge. I like to crowdsource some of what I say about fly fishing, so I appreciate it. This week on castingacross.com, don't be a big fly hero. This is a simple article that just reinforces the plain truth that you need to cast the right size fly for the gear that you're using if you find yourself constantly throwing large streamers either for bass or for saltwater fish or for trout then bring a heavier rod switching from a five weight to a six weight is not going to ruin your enjoyment of playing and landing a fish switching from an eight weight to a nine weight is not going to ruin your enjoyment of playing and landing a fish if you always find yourself making these really weird casts to compensate for this heavy or particularly wind resistant fly, then just get a bigger rod, bring a bigger rod along or downsize your fly. That's a better choice. And here's why, and this is what I talk about in the article. You will have mental and physical fatigue by having to compensate for a fly that is unwieldy for your leader line and rod. So just make a better choice. That's all it comes down to. Then I wrote about the Douglas Sky. So the article is called the Sky Light, Douglas Versatile 3-weight. So I'd written a couple articles about why you should consider fishing the 2-weights and the 3-weights that are 9 feet long if you have the ability to do so. And one of those uh, very, very helpful situations for using a 9-foot 2- or 3-weight is a pond or a lake where you have all the casting room in the world but you need to throw small delicate flies so this is what i was doing as of late and i was using the douglas sky that that's a rod that's gotten a lot of notoriety and um, publicity up in the five and six weight range and it's a really really quality rod but it performed really well for that nine foot three weight really fun rod really enjoyed it check out the review it's called sky light this week's recommendation is the fly trap fly holder. I've talked about the fly trap a number of times on the podcast on the website, but you know I have been bouncing around in my fishing a lot. Everything from the aforementioned small mountain ponds to uh, the salt and to freshwater and bigger rivers and uh, warm water and trout. All sorts, all sorts of fishing. That's the end of summer and early fall. It's just very, very diverse, and I have. The tippet I like, and I have the uh, tools that I like, and I keep them all attached to two fly traps one for salt and warm water, and one for trout. It's the same tools, the same tippet for big rivers and for small mountain creeks. And having them on the fly trap is awesome because I always know where the flies that I'm drying off are, and they're held securely in that silicone and I always have my favorite tools. I don't have four sets of tools, I have two sets of tools. I don't have 10 sets of tools, I have two sets of tools and I always know where my good nippers are. They're always attached to my flytrap. I always know where the full floatin' bottle is, the one that I only use one bottle of floatin' at a time. I don't rotate through multiple ones so that I get myself in trouble because I have an empty bottle out in the stream and it's always attached to the flytrap. And uh, so I have two of these and uh, they come in two different sizes, I will put a link to the flytrap on the show notes of this podcast at castingacross.com. But for less than $15, bucks, is an awesome little device that you can attach on your waders, on your backpack, on your vest, on your sling pack, wherever. And you might have everything you need for a day of fishing that you can attach on this one little accessory. Definitely worth it. Check it out. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.